Let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast the lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And then the king and they, they said to him, tell, uh, tell, tell us, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What, what is your occupation, and where do you come from? Okay, that's pretty awesome. So that is that is my Hebrew root students B day, having memorized Jonah one one through eight. This is for our podcast listeners. This is shout out to um, shout out to our friends in France and in and in Australia and um, all over the U.S. It's really cool. I just saw a lot of places in Texas um, and then a lot of different states in the Union there. Um, so. Uh, we are memorizing the text. We're memorizing Jonah, the book of Jonah. Uh, nobody memorizes scripture anymore because we have a, a, the Bible on our phones. Why would I need to memorize it? Nobody memorizes phone numbers anymore. Why would I need to? I just look them on my contacts. I got them on my speed dial list. Um, yeah, there's a couple of things we still memorize, but... Oh, yeah, that's a song. Um, all right, so good job. You guys are through verse 8. We'll have 10... We'll have verse 10 test on Monday, and then on Wednesday will be Jonah 1, 1 through 10, the whole thing. So no new stuff, we just put it all together. Um, but I'm telling you, there's something that happens, and I was talking to Laura about this. When we make uh, the discipline, the ancient discipline of memorizing scripture, there was a reason that David in Psalm 119 said, how can, um, uh, how can I keep my way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have written your word on my heart, O Lord, that I might not sin against you. David found out the secret that we've lost for thousands of years. It's possible to not sin. You'll hear in your churches and in Sunday school all the time, oh, well, we're humans, we're going to sin. Oh, oh, well, yeah, that's just our nature. We're, we're going to sin. That is not true. You can go for weeks, days, weeks, and months without sinning. Oh, I've never heard that before. Yeah. It's not a common teaching, but David figured out the secret by writing God's word on your heart that causes you to not sin against the Lord. It's pretty cool. When your operating system is not Jordan 101 or Destiny 2.5 or the new upgrade of Shelby, when that's not your operating system, when your operating system is Jonah 1, 2, 3, 4, Matthew 5, 6, 7, when that's your operating system, man, you start living out a whole new life. It's pretty amazing. Also, fasting, something we don't do, yet it's an ancient discipline that has so many amazing benefits in other areas of our life. Yes. We should. I honestly think so. As disciples following our rabbi, Jesus didn't say, hey, if you guys fast, when you fast. he said, when you fast. He fully expected his disciples to fast. And remember from eighth grade boys, when you get good at telling your stomach, no, and it goes, well, I'm hungry. And you say, you know what? I'll feed you when I'm good and ready. So sit down and shut up. Your stomach goes, yes, sir. <laughs> and you're fasting. When you get good at telling your stomach, no, or you'll eat when I'm ready for you to eat, guess what happens? You get good at telling the rest of your body, 
to behave and know. And when certain parts of our bodies get us in trouble, we can tell them, hey, back in line. And your tongue says, sorry. And I don't want to hear that language anymore. And your mouth says, yes, sir, I'm sorry. Other parts of our bodies get us in trouble, probably more so than not, is high schoolers. And we can start telling other parts of our bodies, hey, you know what? That's not appropriate. Get back in line. Do what you're supposed to do. Yes, sir. Sorry. It's just that I, I don't care. It's just that I, I'm a high, I don't care. Shut up. And so, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? Yes, this is Jesus' brilliance. This is the Jews' brilliance of fasting. God actually is, is the one who thought up fasting because he tells the Jews to afflict themselves. And so we're getting ready to next Wednesday. Okay, today is the 3rd of October. So Wednesday is the highest, holiest day of the year. It's called Yom Kippur. And Kippur comes from the word kafar. And you remember what kafar means? Covering. So it's the day of covering, the day of atonement. Yes. K-I-P-P-U-R. It's not Passover. Yom Kippur, next Wednesday. It's the day when God closes his three books in the heavenly court. He opens up the book of life on Rosh Hashanah, which was Sunday. He opens up the book of death and he opens up a book of in between. And you say, ah, that's Jewish Midrash. Hang on, wait just a minute before you dismiss Midrash. Have you read the Bible? The Bible's full of passages where God gets out a book and Jesus says, hey, are you in the book of life? Because if not, I'm going to blot your name out of it. it. Oh, there really is a book of life. Yeah, it's in Revelation. It's in Malachi. It's in the Bible, y'all. So which book are you in? Book of life? Oh yeah, I'm exceedingly righteous, <laughs> Mr. Dean. Hmm, careful. Probably the one person that says, yes, I'm exceedingly righteous is probably not very righteous. Are you in the book of death? You were exceedingly wicked and evil this whole year. Probably not. Are you with me? Probably in the book of in between. So what we want to do on Yom Kippur is convince God, could you maybe erase my name out of the book of in between and jot it down in the old book of life or Rooney? <laughs> and God says, yeah, well, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for me lately? Right? Uh, well, I've been, um, gosh, I've been pretty selfish. Uh, I use my free time for entertainment and my stuff. Um, Gee, I've been talking about people, you know, in a gossipy way. Uh, I get mad at other drivers. Um, uh, geez, I use gestures with my hands when things don't go my way. Uh, gosh, I haven't been, you know, I haven't been a very nice person. So this is a time for us to reflect and say, hey, God, I don't want to be like that. All right, um, let's stand. Let's say the Shema together. Look, at, we're not reading it anymore because you guys got it in here now. Sure. I said it during the second period. Yes. They will do that because that is some serious ha ha ha, you know, all that Hebrew stuff. Okay. Okay, let's ready. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha, Vechol Levavecha, Uvechol Nefshecha, Uvechol Meodecha, Ve'ahavta La Reacha Kamocha. Amen. Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.
These are the very words of God. Please be seated for my words. Awesome. We stand for God's, but we sit down for man's. Did we do a comparison of Joseph and Jesus? Okay, good. Joseph and Jesus. All right. So if you think Isaac is the only forerunner of Messiah, I'm going to go through these. And here's what I promise to do so that you can just receive this. Don't write it. I'll give you my notes. Okay? Because there's 27. There's actually hundreds. But, but I, I'm going to share with you 27 comparisons between Jesus and Joseph as in the coat of many colors. Just listen, ready? Both are beloved firstborn sons. You say, wait a minute, Joseph isn't the firstborn. He's number 10, right? Or 11. Wrong. Because who did Jacob, his father, desire to marry first? Rachel. Rachel. So he worked for seven years. And what did Laban do? The old bait and switch. And he was like, oh no, you know. So then he says, but I wanted Rachel. He says, yeah, but nobody marries off the younger sister first. And he says, look, I'll work for another seven years because Rachel is so beautiful and she is the one I, my heart desires. So he works another seven years and Pops gives him Rachel. Rachel only had two sons, Joseph and Binyamin, son of my right hand, Binyamin. Joseph, um, uh, don't worry, it won't be on the test. <laughs> That's my weaselly way of saying, I don't know. Um, no, I don't know what Yosef means. Um, hey, would somebody see to the door so I can get through to this? Uh, um, what? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Both are beloved firstborn sons, right? Joseph and Jesus. Um, Jesus is firstborn of his father, right? And of his mother. Uh, both are envied and hated without a cause. Both foretold that one day they would rule. Both accused, were accused of being a dreamer, deluded. Remember Jesus, his family says, oh my gosh, go inside and tell Jesus to come on out here with us because he's lost his mind. No, he's not a dreamer. All right. And so was Joseph. Both were sent by their father to seek their brother's well-being. Both went willingly and sought their brothers until they found them. Both were rejected by their brothers and condemned to die. Both were stripped of their clothing. Both were thrown into a pit, alone and forsaken. What's the pit Joseph was thrown into? It's actually, it's actually a huge carving in the earth where there's a lot of stone, like a quarry, and they'll carve out the stone and it's at ground level. And whenever the flood waters rush by, it fills it up. What's that called? It's not a well because a well is spring fed. It's a big container that's used to hold water for the Bedouins, for the nomads. It's a cistern. Have you ever heard the word cistern? That's where they threw, that's where they threw Joseph. No, um, a cistern is hewn out of the rock and it's to catch the rainwater so that the shepherds can follow cistern to cistern to cistern and drink and not die in the desert. Oh, wait a minute. Where was Jesus thrown? Into the pit. He called it the grave. But think about where they laid him. Hewn out rock. And he called himself the living water. So Jesus was laid in this tomb as the living water. It was almost like a sister. It's almost like Joseph is supposed to be saying, hey, I'm like Jesus. 
All right. Um, both were sold for silver into the hands of Gentiles. Joseph for 20 pieces, Jesus for 30. Both were raised from the pit. Both became servants. Everything that both did was prospered by God. Both resisted temptation. Joseph temptation, remember? Potiphar's wife. Good. Jesus, temptation, desert, the three temptations. Both were accused falsely. Both were numbered with transgressors. And both men, Joseph and Jesus, delivered, promised deliverance to a condemned man. Which, which condemned man did Joseph promise deliverance to? His brothers. They weren't condemned. Yes, it was the cupbearer. Yeah. He said, you in three days will be restored to your position and you, Baker, you're a condemned man and you will not be delivered. Jesus says, you, not so much, but this guy over here, remember on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's pretty crazy. Pretty cool, huh? Both foretold the future accurately. Joseph predicted what? Interpreted a dream. Famine. Famine for how many years? Seven. 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 And then seven years, seven years of bad, bad, bad. So seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. How about Jesus? Did he predict anything accurately? He Good. The destruction of the temple. Not one stone left on another. Absolutely. Both proved to be great counselors. Both were promoted to the highest honor and given a new name. Philippians said Jesus received a name that was above all names. Do you remember what name Joseph received? After he was taken out, raised up, and honored in the highest possible way. It's an Egyptian word. Zaphanath Panea. You probably don't remember that. I'm the teacher, so I do. You know what Zaphanath Panea means? Only two people in the entire Bible are called Zaphanath Panea. Jesus and Joseph. It means savior of the world. Isn't that cool? Joseph was called savior of the world, but it's in Egyptian. So we're like, oh, Zaphanath Panea. But if you look it up, savior of the world. I don't know, right? Because we're content to just read the Bible and we don't understand something. So we just go on to the next thing. It's no big deal. This is why, I know. So this is why I wanted to reboot, reset your, the way you guys approach the Bible from this point for the rest of your lives. Because when you come across a name, don't ever say, huh, I wonder what that means. Anyways, da, 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 and keep reading. No, go, wait a minute. I have the most powerful engine ever devised by man. It's the iPhone, whatever, eight, nine, 10. And I've got the internet at my fingertips and I can look up Zaphanath Panea, meaning Savior of the world. Whoa, whoa, right? And then all of a sudden, ding, you, you make these connections. Cool. All people are commanded to bow the knee to both of them. Joseph, Pharaoh says, at the name or at the sound, abrek, which in Egyptian means bow the knee. Every knee shall bow. Do you remember Jesus being told that about Jesus? In Philippians, again, one day, at the sound, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. It's almost like, hmm. Both were unrecognized by their brothers. Both of their brothers are troubled when their identity is revealed. And both allowed their brothers to suffer for a period of tribulation. Both, number 27, have a revelation of their identity and a reconciliation. 
P.S. This is really cool. The question from the very beginning of class was, how will God's chosen people, the Jews, be saved if they don't believe in Jesus? When are they supposed to believe in him? Is there going to be a time and an opportunity for them to believe before Jesus comes? And it's like, gee, I sure hope so, or else they're going to hell. Not so fast. I think there's stories in the Bible that can help shed light on passages that are difficult to understand. Like Paul is convinced that the Jews will be saved, meaning they will believe in Jesus, meaning they will have opportunity to believe in Jesus before judgment. It's like, what? Look at the story of Joseph. When Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers, he commands all the Gentiles, get out. Every single Gentile, every single Egyptian guard was told, get out. And they all got out. He then takes his headdress off, wipes off his makeup, and he speaks to his brothers, not through the interpreter anymore. Isn't that crazy? He was using an Egyptian interpreter just to keep the, the facade going. He, he speaks to his brothers in their native tongue, Hebrew. If that's all true, and Jesus is supposed to show us, or Joseph is supposed to show us Jesus, what do you think Jesus will do when he appears again to his brothers, the Jewish people? You see, we've dressed Jesus in a Greek toga. We made his skin white. We made his eyes blue. We made him speak Greek because that is the language of the New Testament. I speak Spanish fluently. So does my American wife and so do my two kids. But when we come together as a family, though we can all speak a second language, what language do you think we speak in? Our heart language, our first language, right? I think that one day when Jesus appears again, he's going to remove the wig of the long flowing brown hair. He's going to take the blue contacts out of his eyes. He's going to wipe off the white makeup that we put on his face. And he's going to ask every single Gentile, get out. I don't need your help to reveal my identity. And then he's going to look at his Jewish brothers and sisters and say, Ani Yeshua, ach shalachem. And they're going to go, what? We thought you'd say, I'm Jesus in English. He's going to say in perfect Hebrew, Ani Yeshua, ach shalachem. And they'll say, oh, we believe. It's going to be brilliant. But you know how I know that is because that's what Joseph does. So that's what I think Jesus is going to do. We'll be dead. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, honestly, um, I don't know. If Jesus comes in our lifetime, I think that what, he's, what that means is Jesus won't need the help of preachers and teachers and a bunch of Christians saying, hey, you bunch of Jews, we've got proofs. Here's some proof that Jesus is Messiah. Why don't you believe my proof? Here's my Bible. Here's my New Testament. I don't think Israel is going to need the Gentiles' help to understand who Messiah is because Messiah will be able to take care of that all by himself. How do I know? Because I read the story of Joseph. Now, is that exactly true, biblical true? Am I, I'm not 100% positive, but gee, there's a lot of similarities between Jesus and Joseph. So maybe that's one that can shed light on how he's going to do it at the end. So when Jesus does appear again, and we're all still in the ground, maybe he will gather just the Jewish people and say, all right, Ani Yeshua. And they say, oh my gosh. And some will say, nope, I don't believe it. 
I will not believe it. I will go to my death before I will believe that you are the Messiah. And Jesus will say, okay, I'm sorry that you chose that way. But I think most of them will say, I've been so wrong. <laughs> been so wrong my whole life. Right? So, okay. All right, y'all title your notes. These, these are going to be fun notes. And I have like 30 minutes to do this. So I'm going to talk really fast like this, okay? Uh, you just slow me down if I need to. We are going to talk about Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? S-I-N-A-I. Sinai. Sinai. Yes, that's where you got the Ten Commandments, okay? Israel arrived in the desert of Sinai on the third day of the third month. Three days later, on the sixth day of the third month, God descends upon the mountain. And he gave them, Brent? The Ten Commandments. The Torah... He was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't eat a thing. He didn't drink a thing for a month and a half. And the Jews said, wait a minute. He had to have gotten more than just the Ten Commandments. Month and a half. Unless he was like in remedial Torah 101, right? And God was like, thou shall not. And Abraham's like, or Moses is like, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you lost me at thou. <laughs> God's like, okay, come on. No, I just don't understand. No. So most of us believe, yes, that's where he got the Ten Commandments. In fact, that's what Christians believe. That's when Moses got the Ten Commandments. You know what the Jews believe? Oh yeah, he got the Ten Commandments. He also got the entire Torah. And he also got the oral Torah. The oral Torah? Yeah, the oral Torah. What's that? Well, it's the explanation of the written Torah. Why do you need an oral Torah? You can't have a written code without an interpretation. Could you imagine the speed limit's 35? Anyone who breaks it will be fined and will be taken to jail. Written code. Do we need an oral interpretation? Yeah, because what if somebody's dying and they're bleeding to death in my car? I'm going 35. Doo, doo, doo. Wait, hurry, I'm going to die in two minutes. Sorry, I got to do 35. Right? There's got to be exceptions. You've got to be able to explain those exceptions. You've got to have an oral interpretation of the written code. That's what Moses received on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights was God said, okay, look, if your child is born on the eighth day, you have to circumcise him on the eighth day, right? If your child is born on the eighth day and it's a Sabbath, you're not allowed to cut. You're not allowed to do any work on the Sabbath. So Moses says, oh, uh, that's not good. Which, which commandment do I have to break, God? And God said, you figure it out. <laughs> and Moses says, I hate when you tell me that. But it's kind of fun. So he goes and consults with his friends and his people. And they figure, you know what? Let's keep circumcision and break the Sabbath. Because that's covenant. And it's a different kind of covenant. So there's always two laws, the written and the spoken. Okay. So how did Sinai happen? Actually, it is written in the Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish Midrash and Jewish Halakha, the explanation of, of the laws, kind of the written down oral traditions. In the Talmud, it's written... That with each divine utterance, God spoke to the Hebrews at Mount Sinai, they all died. And God had to revive them continually with the dew from heaven. <laughs> That's what's written in the Talmud. So think about this for a second. I'm going to paint this picture. <clears throat> Moses says, all right, I'm ready to go. I got my, my stone tablets. And God says, first commandment. Thou, pff, the whole nation of Israel dies. And Moses goes, oh, well, that's no good. And God says, oh, geez. 
dew from heaven, and everybody, huh? Well, what happened? Well, God's so powerful that just one word. Oh, God. Why do you think Moses was uh, He was kafard. He was covered. He was protected. Okay. He had this glow. He had this covering. Yeah. Yeah, Sterling. I missed the part there. Didn't they tell what? That every time God spoke a word, it killed every single Israelite. And he had to continually raise them from the dead. Can you imagine? Okay. Shall. Oh my gosh. I'm back from the dead. Everybody comes back. Not. Oh, geez, for crying out, this is going to take forever. That may be what took a month and a half is for every single word that God spoke, everyone dies. You say, well, why would everyone die? Guys, you tell me. Why does Deuteronomy 5.22 and why does Exodus 20? Why does Exodus 20 and verse 19 say, and the people said, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but do not let God speak to us anymore or we'll keep dying. Why does the text say that? Why does the text say that? Well, my book smooths it out and it says, lest we die. You tell God, stop. You speak to us instead or otherwise we'll die. Now, that's not what the Hebrew actually says. The Hebrew says, we'll keep dying. We are dying. So they went, Midrash time. Maybe with every word that God spoke, because he's God and no one's ever seen God. Can you imagine what would happen to your head if you saw God? You would just explode, right? Moses says, God, let me see you. And God says, oh, you can't handle me. Your eyes can't handle my glory. It would not only blind you, it would kill you. So I'm going to cover your face with my hand, pass in front of you, and let you see the back of one of my shoulder blades, God says, in a sense. And Moses says, Gah! And, and I think he goes blind for a few minutes. It was that glorious. So imagine if God said, <clears throat> I want to speak to you. What would happen to your tympanic membrane, your eardrum? It would explode and it would slice through your brain. Your whole head would fall in half like a melon opening up. It's like, God says, no, I'm not going to speak to you. Are you kidding me? But he did. He spoke to Israel and he said, thou shalt not. And they all died. Yeah. Okay, so didn't the Israelites melt down all their jewelry and make a golden calf at the base of Mount Sinai? Yes. So how did they have time to do that if God was constantly So that's the thing is how long did it last? Well, it seems like God didn't get very far before the people said, you know what? Just tell them to stop. Jeez. You know? And so was it a day? Was it half a day? Um, Moses was gone a long time, remember? And these are Egyptians. They're Israelites, but they have a lot of Egypt in them still. Yeah, but I feel like even if I had, like after seeing the 10 plagues, the Passover. And Explain it away naturalistically. I'm going to show you a movie that's going to explain the plagues through nature. And it's going to require a lot of faith for you to say, I think God did this. Through Moses, that's a lot of faith and a lot of trust. I think he did, but he wouldn't do something like that for me anymore. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, we've been wandering and I'm not sure I could buy this whole thing. And I've got a lot of Egypt still in me. There's a lot of reasons why they made the golden calf and why Aaron is the one who does it. Aaron, of all people, the, the one who did the half the... Staff whacking. You know what I'm talking about? Staff raising and whacking and all this stuff. This guy's the one that makes the golden cap. Okay. 
We'll look at that. That's a great question. That's, yes. Don't raise your hand. You're just supposed to shout out. Remember, that's the spirit. Yeah, that feels weird I know, but just do it. Interrupt. Okay, so it lists all the commandments and then it says yes. that, So that is kind of cool because if God gets through the Ten Commandments, now again, it's a midrash. Did they really die with every divine utterance? I don't think so. However, what it points to is, was there more than the Ten Commandments that Moses received? There had to have been because it's after he finishes the Ten Commandments that the people say, tell God to stop. We don't want to hear anymore. You tell us whatever's coming next. So I think there was more that was said to Moses than just the Ten Commandments. So did they really die at every word? Probably not. But let me tell you guys something, and I hope we get to it today. God respects a good midrash. Okay. God seriously respects a good midrash because I think God honors that and says, now you're thinking. I'm not going to make this easy for you. This Bible, this, this Tanakh, Old Testament, it's not going to be easy. But what in life is? 